Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to camp, but his young aide, Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. The word of the Lord. Good morning. If you want to know what someone thinks about God, just listen to their prayers. And this goes for you too. It's not just other people. If you want to know what you think about God, pray out loud. Just listen to your prayers. If your prayers are dominated by confession and shame and naming all your sins, maybe your picture of God is the harsh judge that just wants to throw the book at you or your tax accountant that's watching for every indiscretion. If you're... Uh, if your prayer life is nothing but just babbling about yourself again and again and again, maybe your view of God is more like a, your therapist that you're going to. If your prayer life is nothing but all the things you need from God, maybe for other people too, I need this and I need this and I need this and I need... Maybe your view of God is like, like a heavenly vending machine. If, you're, if your only prayers are when really all hell is breaking loose in your life and you're desperate, maybe your view of God is like your 911 operator or your insurance agent. If you rarely pray, maybe your view of God is like the absentee dad that's there, kind of, but doesn't really care, isn't that involved in your life. You want to know what someone thinks about God? Listen to their prayers. Hollywood understands this. There's some really, really great prayer scenes in movies. I kind of have tracked these through the years. I've got like a long list. Two of my favorite, one is a movie called Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell. Do you know that? I'm not recommending you watch it, so please don't, don't take it. But maybe you can watch the YouTube clip of the prayer scene. I think his name is Ricky Bobby. Is that right? Yeah. So Ricky Bobby's at, at Sunday dinner or something, and he prays. And if you remember the scene, he prays to baby Jesus. And he just starts praying to baby Jesus and baby Jesus. And his wife cuts him off, and she's like, will you stop praying to baby Jesus? He's a grown man. And, you know, there's chuckling and laughter. And, but you see in that prayer that... that his prayer is showing you what he thinks about God. His view of God is this small, little, fragile infant who doesn't really do anything. 
My favorite prayer scene of all time is a, a movie called Meet the Parents. So Robert De Niro is playing a character named Jack. And Jack is uh, meeting Greg, who's played by Ben Stiller, who's dating Jack's daughter, Pam. So the whole movie is meeting the parents. And, you know, he, he, Robert De Niro is Robert De Niro. So if you ever see the movie, you can imagine. And he wants to break poor Greg. He doesn't think anybody's good enough for his little Pam. And so that's really the whole movie. So they have a dinner scene, and, uh, and he asked Greg to pray. And uh, Pam intercedes for uh, poor Greg and says, but, but Dad, Greg's Jewish. And he goes, oh, honey, do Jewish people not pray? And then he kind of just stares at Greg. And so, of course, Greg's like, oh, I can pray. I pray. <laughs> and the humor of the scene, if you haven't seen it, go watch the scene on YouTube, is that he pretty much cobbles together prayers he's heard other people pray because he doesn't pray much. <laughs> so that's the humor of it. What do other people hear when we pray? So this is his prayer. Let me read it to you. Uh, you are thoughtful and kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh, sweet, sweet Lord of hosts. For the uh, smorgasbord you have so aptly laid at our table this day and each day by day, day by day, by day, oh, dear Lord, three things we pray to see thee more clearly, to hear thee more dearly, to follow thee more nearly day by day by day. Amen. And if you remember the seed, uh, Robert Deere is like, that's, thank you, Greg. That's very unusual. It's very unusual. <laughs> if you want to know what people think about God, just listen to their prayers. We're in this prayer series. We started last week. Denise did a great job launching us. You know, we're just calling it pray because we couldn't think of anything creative, to be honest. So pray. And here's the deal with prayer series. Let's just, we talk honest here. Uh, prayer series at church, if you've grown up in church, and if you haven't, you can just ignore this. But when you see a prayer series, it usually decreases attendance because people are like, oh, great, a prayer series. Because we've had like six of them, you know, in our in growing up in church. You're laughing. I see you know what I'm saying. And here's what we think. Like, here's the secret thing about prayer. This is me. Maybe you're different. But we all feel some shame when it comes to our prayer life. We don't talk about it much. We don't know if we're doing it right. We think we should be doing it more. I've never met a person that I'm like, how's your prayer life? And they're like, great. I'm knocking it out of the park. It's incredible. <laughs> it's just really, really rare. So when you have a prayer series, I think inside everybody's hearts, they're like, great, you know, six weeks of shame. <laughs> the pastor's going to be telling me I should pray better and longer and more often. And that's not our hopes for this. If you feel that, I will be sad because that's not what we're doing. We, as Denise explained last week, when we think about new series and we pray over what we should teach, we just feel like it's such a complex world right now. I don't know what to do half the time. And uh, I think we need all hail King Jesus. We need to get on our knees. And we, I don't know how prayer works necessarily, but it does. And we need to pray more. But our goal is not to shame anybody and not to have you feel you're inadequate. That's the last thing we want. Our hope for this series is that we shift the paradigm. And for the teaching team, I know this is true of all of us, we feel this way, that we feel like our prayer life is dominated by what we're calling transactional prayer. 
Denise introduced that term last week. And what we mean by that is that would be prayers of petition and supplication and um, intercession and confession. It's whenever we're asking God for something and expecting God to give us something in return, transactional prayer. Now, we don't want to paint that as a negative thing. We're asked to do all those things. And so if you come away from this series saying, I shouldn't do transactional prayers, we have messed up. Uh, We want you to continue to do that. But we feel like that's the vast majority of all of our prayer lives is transactional prayer. And we think if that's the case, we're missing the boat, especially when we look at Scripture. So we've coined this term relational prayer. And this is prayer of just being with God, being in God's presence. Denise uh, quoted Ruth Haley Barton last week. She's a, a spiritual writer, and she said, prayer is all the ways in which we commune and communicate with God, that the ultimate goal of all of our prayer lives is deeper intimacy. And I think that that's true. So here's our goal. Like, you can disagree with us on this. You're always free to disagree. But our hopes for our prayer lives, the staff here, and your prayer life is that by the end of this, we'll see prayer in a new way, and we'll have some new tools to begin to practice being with God. We believe that should be the vast majority of our prayer life is just being with God relationally. And then that will shape our transactional prayer life, which we should be doing as well. Are you following me? You can disagree, but I just want to make sure you're following me. So we kind of put the cart before the horse a lot of times in church. So we're going to lean towards talking about this relational prayer. You may be like, I don't know. Like, does it say it in the Bible, pastor? (laughs) Yes, it actually does. Uh, I will challenge you. Look through all the prayers in the Bible. It is really difficult to find a lot of transactional prayer. You rarely find the kind of prayers that populate the typical church prayer sheet. You know, pray for Aunt Betty who's got this going on and Uncle Fred. And and all these things are worthy. I'm not saying they're not worthy. It's very rare that I look through our weekly prayer list and I see somebody like, hey, my name's Jeff and I just want to know God more. That's it. You know, so that's kind of what we're getting at with the series. Here's a couple of examples from Scripture. Uh, The sons of Korah in Psalm 84 say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's, that's people that have so deeply experienced God, they want nothing else. They want nothing else. Paul has these two prayers in the book of Ephesians. He's right into the, uh, the, the church at Ephesus. And then this church was to be passed around, this letter was to be passed around in all the churches in Asia Minor. So these are as the churches are forming. He's teaching them how to be apprentices of Jesus. He doesn't, in his prayers, pray that they'd be healed of this and this and this. Not that that's a bad thing. But he's trying to teach them to pray. So listen to, here's little snippets. We'll get into these prayers in the series. The first one says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Boom. Second prayer in chapter three, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Here's how I think about it. I don't think prayer is necessarily about asking God for more stuff, but essentially prayer is about experiencing more God. And that's what we want for this year. As we experience more God in our prayer lives and our intimacy is deepened with God, it will shape how we pray for ourselves and others and for the world and even how we confess our sins, to be frank. So that's kind of our agenda. Agree, disagree. Let us know how you think it's going. We're not here to shame you or guilt you. 
So, you know, a lot of you are like doing this posture with the prayer series. You can just kind of uncross your arms and just, whew, it's going to be okay, everybody. So let's, uh, let's start uh, by, just, by just praying. And I'm just going to give you some silence. And you don't have to say anything. Start practicing this kind of prayer. Just listen if you want. Be in God's presence. If you want to pray anything, pray something simple like, God, I just want more of you. I just want more of you. Whatever that looks like today, God, I just want more of you. So I'm going to give you some silence to pray. Amen. So the passage that uh, David read earlier is Exodus 33, 7 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, um, we have Bibles at the back that you can grab as you come in to use while you're here. We'll be, I'll be reading some additional passages from that context uh, today and have your phone app out if that's how you read the Bible. Just no TikTok or tweeting, all right? Just, just stick to the Bible app. Um, so we'll be, we'll be uh, introducing some, some new scriptural passages today. So have that out. But let me give context. I hate when we take things out of context. So let me give you a little context for what you heard. Uh, so uh, prior to this, uh, Moses is up on top of Mount Sinai, and Moses is being with God. He's doing what we're talking about. And today we're going to talk a lot about friendship with God. But Moses just being friends with God on the top of the mountain. And God's giving him these cool tablets with some ways to how to live life and some boundaries of how he wants the people of Israel to conduct themselves. And he's gone for longer than expected. And as we are prone to do, the people fall into idolatry. So they've taken all this jewelry when they left Egypt and they take off their jewelry, they melt it, and they make this silly little golden calf and they begin to worship it. And lest we judge, we do this all the time in different ways. But God's up there hanging with Moses. Moses doesn't know this is going on, but God's God. God knows everything. And uh, God's like, uh, the people are down there doing idolatrous, crazy stuff. And I'm going to wipe them out. <laughs> we just got through a series of emotions with God. So God's, he's angry, right? And Moses is like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Talking to God like a friend. Whoa, 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 God, you don't mean that. And here's what my friend Tim, who's a Hebrew scholar, he says, essentially in these passages, uh, God's not changing his character. Moses is reminding God to be God. So just be, be, remember, remember all the promises? <laughs> remember, you're compassionate and merciful. You don't want to smite them, you know, whatever that word means. And so don't wipe them out. And so God's like, uh, okay, because <laughs> I like you, Moses. Okay, but I'm not going to go with you. I'm, not, I'm done with this. Like, I'm going to send a proxy. I'm going to send, like, an angel or another representative. I'm done. I'm kind of done. I need space. I just need space. <laughs> I love this lad. He's like, Moses, if I go with you, I'll end up wiping them out. Because <laughs> I'm just like, I can't deal with the idolatry. And as again, we talked about in the Emotions of God series, we want a God like that, that is holy and devoted to goodness and truth and turns us away from idolatry. So then Moses comes down um, off of the mountain and sees the ridiculousness for himself and has these tablets that in anger, emotions, he throws to the ground and shatters. So the people are alarmed and he does a lot of different things and there's some judgment and this and that. But the, there's this tent in, in, the, in the Old Testament, there's this tent, the tent of meeting 
that Moses would hang out with God and Joshua would join him. And then that tent of meeting eventually became the tabernacle uh, that will be coming in chapters 35 and 36 of Exodus. And that eventually becomes the temple that holds the presence of God uh, that eventually becomes Jesus. So we're at the tent of meeting. So I don't know what it looked like. I don't know how big it was. So that's in the midst of the people. And so Moses is so angry. He's like, I know what God's about to do. I got to get God's presence out of here. So he like you know, packs up the, the tent, like he's backpacking and takes it out outside the camp. And so this is a really tender scene, at least for me. I think the people are beginning to repent and they're heartbroken and they long for God's presence because they've experienced God's presence. And he tells us uh, that Moses then uh, goes into the tent of meeting and the cloud by day and the fire by night, that's how we know God's presence with his people. The cloud would descend on the temple and Moses would hang out with God, just being in the presence of God. And it says the people stood outside their tents and they're trying to watch. They're holding each other on their, on their shoulders and they're trying, what's happening now? Is God still there? Still, and I think they're longing, longing for the presence of God and heartbroken over what they did. But Moses is like, I got to safeguard. We got to be outside uh, the tent. So that's, that's the context of what's going on. Uh, let's continue uh, to, to read. Oh, no, let me, let me highlight one verse. It was the last verse that you heard, and I think this is a verse that I want to form as kind of the foundation, the epicenter of what, I, what we want to ponder uh, as a people today regarding our prayer life. And that's verse 11. So if you're reading Exodus 3, 11, it says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face the way a person speaks to a friend. It's a really tender verse, at least for me it is as I've pondered it. And what we'll, what we'll ask you to do today is think about your prayer life with the idea of friendship with God. So this, wor- this word face, it's one of these hyperlinks. And again, hyperlink, you click on something and it takes you a lot of different places. My friend Tim calls it face theology. There's face all over scripture. So people who knew the Hebrew scriptures and knew the New Testament as well, they'll immediately think of a plethora of other scriptures when they see the word face. Click on it, boom. So the word in English is singular. If you're reading in your scriptures, it's singular. In Hebrew, it's plural. And this kind of plural form of a word in Hebrew was used for the word like sky and water, where it's something, but there's way more going on. So when you say the sky, you're saying the sky, but there's so much going on in the sky. When you say the water, if you're looking at oceans or rivers, there's way much go- more going on. When you look at someone's face, there's way more going on than just a face. You have 43 different muscles in your face. Did you know that? And you can make up to 10,000 micro expressions. You could say a lot with your face. Some of you are saying stuff to me right now. I could see it. <laughs> we could read a lot, and we do it intuitively. We just learn this about one another's face. A face is way more than just a face. And so that's the idea. When you're reading this in the Hebrew and the people who are reading it, they would understand this. There's also this phrase face-to-face, which is more of a Hebrew idiom. That's like we're hanging out in person. Are we going to do Zoom or are we going to do face-to-face? It's that kind of idea. But then, but face connotates this deeper intimacy with someone. We, uh, We were on a mission trip years ago. And as a, as a team-building exercise, they had us pair up and stare for five minutes into someone else's face. It's horrifying. It's so vulnerable. They do this in couples therapy, I'm told, too. I'm, I'm like, I don't know if I, I want to do that with my wife. So, love her, but like, ooh. Because there's so much happening in a face. 
when you, when you, like when you start to do, read, around the, read throughout the Bible, look for this word face. Here's a couple examples. Uh, King David says, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Later, God would tell Moses and Aaron and the sons of Aaron to pray this blessing. Maybe you've heard this blessing. It's still used uh, today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his what? Face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. There's way more to a face than just a face. That's true of God as well. Let's keep reading. We're in Exodus 33, 12 through 17. Let's see how this narrative unfolds. Moses said to the Lord, see, you have been saying to me, bring this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. So he's referring back to like, God said he's going to send a proxy. He's like, no one's shown up. What's going on with that? But you said, I know you by name. And also you have found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your way that I may know you and that I may continue to find favor in your sight and see that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not take us up from here. For how will it be known then that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we will be distinguished, I and your people, from all the people who are on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing also that you have requested, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So here's up. Notice they're talking as a friend. They're just talking as friends talk back and forth, and Moses is interceding. He does it four times in Exodus. This is the third time. And he's like, all right, so you're not going to wipe them out. That's good. <laughs> uh, we moved the tent away, so that doesn't happen. Uh, and uh, now uh, what's going on with the proxy? We haven't, no one's shown up. So who, who's coming? And, and then he's got a deeper, a deeper game he's playing here. And he's like, and on that subject, God, like, we don't want a proxy. We want you. Will you reconsider? Like, God, who, who are we without your presence? I love that. It's, that's true for the church. Who are we without God's presence? Who are we? So God's like, all right, Moses, I, I like you. <laughs> I know your name. I'll give you that. And notice, you can even see it in the English. He's like, I'll go with you. Not those people. Not those idolaters. Not the golden calf crew. Not going with them. But I'll go with you. And Moses is like, all right, we're making progress. We're making progress. Uh, I love how he does this. He's like, but God, they're your people. It's kind of like parents that have the disobedient kid and the husband turns to the wife and like, well, it's your kid, you know? And so not, <laughs> they're your people, God. Don't leave me with them, especially without your presence. And then God's like, all right, I do really like you, Moses. And I know your name. I'll go with all of you. You following? So that's their, they're having a conversation, just, just like real people, like real friends. Let's keep reading, verse 18. So Moses is now gonna, he's gonna say, oh, this is going good, this is going good. Now let me ask for what I really want. Now let me ask for what I really want. And this is more personal to Moses. Uh, verse 18 through 23, you may be familiar, we've touched upon some of these, uh, this story the last uh, couple months. 
And Moses says, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before your face. And I will proclaim the Lord by name before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he added, you cannot see my face. For no one can see me and live. And the Lord said, here's a place by me. You will station yourself on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. So Moses is now, it's just him and God now. He's asking, he's like, well, this is going well. God's granting my request. He likes me, he knows my name. Let me just ask for what I really want. I've been hanging out with God a lot. I know him. I know him pretty well. But I don't really know him, and I want to know him. What I've seen is incredible. And he's like, God, will you show me your glory? And this word glory in the Hebrew, it means uh, to be heavy or weighty but it means much more in this request. We know it, just reading it, it means more. Uh, the Greek, Greek Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, it was written before the time of Christ, and it's uh, what a lot of the early church read when they read the Hebrew scriptures. So how they translated things is important. And I love how the translators of the Greek Septuagint translated this Hebrew phrase. They understood what Moses was saying. In the Greek Septuagint, it says, God, show me the real you. Show me the real you. Isn't that a friendship request? Like, I, ah, we, we know each other some. We've been hanging out a lot. Show me the real you, God. What I've seen is incredible. It's transforming me. I want more. Show me the real you. And he's like, that's not going to happen, Moses. <laughs> he's like, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> and this is the fact that God is holy. God's other. Moses is not holy. Moses is like you and I. Incredible man, but full of mistakes and brokenness and sin. And, and God says this in love towards him, not judge me. He's like, if I showed you my real face, it would annihilate you. I don't want to annihilate you. I love you. I need you. <laughs> but here's what I can do for you. I love this scene. Such a tender scene. And he's like, I, here's, what we, here's the best we can do. I will take you and you stand on that rock over there. And I will pass by you, and this is chapter 34 if you want to read it, and I'll tell you my real name, and I'll tell you a little bit about me. And, um, and then just to make sure you don't even sneak a peek, because I know you're going to be tempted and get annihilated, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide you in the cleft of the rock and put my hand over you. Isn't that beautiful? And he says, as I pass by and I get out of your peripheral vision, and so it's safe, I'll remove my hand and you can see my back. And that's the best we're going to do. Because if you see my face, you're going to die. <laughs> And we all know, like, right, when we're seeing someone's face, it's intimate and beautiful and real and true. If we're talking to somebody we love and they turn their back on us, that's less intimate, right? It's not the same thing. But in this case, it's the best that God could offer Moses in their friendship at this point. So that's our story. So what? What does this have to do with prayer? Right? That's what everybody's thinking. What are, you, what, are, what are we doing? Isn't this a prayer series? We'll get there. Uh, so what? What does this mean? What does this ancient story mean to us? Um, let's go back to that verse, uh, Exodus 33, 11. If this is all you remember, remember this today. Ponder this this week. Let this shape your prayer life. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, 
the way a person speaks to a friend. Remember, face-to-face is just an idiom. He'd be close. They're together, but he couldn't really see his face. But they were friends. God was friends with Moses. Simple thought and profound. Abraham was God's friend. James tells us that in James chapter 2, that Abraham was friends with God. I think David, in all of his messed upness, was God's friend. David was a man after God's own heart. And here's the beautiful reality. You ready for this, followers of Jesus? If you follow Jesus, in Jesus, God is your friend. God is your friend. I didn't make that up. Jesus said it right before he died. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you what? I didn't hear you. You don't sound excited about it. I've called you what? Friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. God is our friend. I should transform our prayer life. God is your friend. What is a friend? There's so many different ways we can use that. Uh, it doesn't mean Facebook friend. God's not your Facebook friend. <laughs> All right, we have Facebook friends we barely know. They're acquaintances. It's not that. It's not being friendly. That's different. It can be friendly to people we don't like, that we don't know at all. What is a friend? I think the best definition I found was from Cambridge Dictionary. And I kind of took that and I morphed it and kind of created my own definition. Is that okay? Can I share it with you? Just, it's a living definition. Like, you know, tell me what you think. But I think a friend is a person that we know well and still like a lot even when we don't have to. How do you like it? I don't know. I mean, I, there's more there, I know. But for me, a friend, you got to know them all. They're not just an acquaintance. Let's not be cheap with how we use the word friend. And when we really want friends and friends, it's somebody we know well. And this is so scary and vulnerable. At least it is for me, because I think if somebody knows you well, they're not going to like me. So they know us well, and they really like us a lot. And they've seen it all. They've seen the worst. And they like us a lot, even when they don't have to. That's a friend. So I, I, I said, well, I don't know if this definition works. So I went back. I did a little mental journey of my best friends from when I was a kid to high school. It was kind of a beautiful mental journey to college, the people who shaped my life that I knew so well, that I did so much life with, that I liked a ton even when I didn't have to, up to, up to now. And it works. At least the definition works for me. Uh, this is true of God and us. No one knows you better than God. It's a frightening thought, really. <laughs> no one knows you better than God. No one knows me better than God. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. These are David's words. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. No one knows you like God, and God still likes you a lot. God doesn't just love you. God likes you. I've been really dwelling on this passage from Zephaniah. It's such a beautiful verse. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he rejoices over you with singing. Only crazy friends do that kind of stuff. God's your friend. God he, he knows you, and he likes you, even when he doesn't have to. 
I love uh, the friendship that we see in the passages that were read today, just the give and take, the negotiation, the covered back and forth, the reminding God of who he was. These are all components of friendship that we see on, on display. And several times in the passage, you may have noticed, God says to Moses, I know your name. Isn't that tender? I mean, friends don't just know our name because they, they met us once, they know our name because our names are our story. Denise told us last week, Moses' name means to be pulled out of water. That was his story. He was supposed to be murdered. In Egypt, someone saved him. Someone pulled him out of the water, and then his life journey was pulling God's people out of the water, literally and figuratively. That was who he was. That's who he was made to be. My parents named me John. That means God is gracious, and I'm such a hot mess. I've needed God's grace more than anybody in here. So that's played a huge role in my life. We named our first daughter Eden, a place of pleasure and delight, a place of new creation and new birth. We named our other daughter Jubilee, which means just literally joy and jubilation. We thought of that festival of Jubilee. If you met Jubilee, that's her, right? Just bubbling with joy. Our names are our stories. They connote something about us. Christening ceremonies are typically in the Christian tradition where we name people. It's a powerful moment. If you've ever had that opportunity to have a role in naming someone, what a responsibility and a delight. And our names are our stories. They begin to shape us. Uh, Jewish children, a boy would get named on the eighth day, and, and a girl would get named at her first uh, Shabbat or Sabbath. And here, God, again and again, says, I like you, and I know your name. And I think there's more there. I think there's a hyperlink forward here to a verse in Revelation. Here's a truth that I hope will linger with you. Uh, there's a name that you have, it's your true name, that no one knows but God. It will be revealed one day, but no one knows but God. Here's what it says, Revelation 2.17, to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. I mean, you'll know it on that day. God knows it now. What a tender friendship gesture. You have a name that is your true name, and it'll be revealed one day. That'll be glorious. God knows it now. He knows your name. He's your friend. He, he knows you like no one else, and he likes you. He wants to spend time with you, even though he doesn't have to do it. You may be saying right now, well, John, okay, God's my friend, cool. <laughs> God's also my father and my creator and my redeemer and my mother and all these images. Those are all true. Here's the way I would say it. God, yes, is more than a friend, but never less. Never less. God is more than a friend, but never less than a friend. God is your friend, and if you understand that, it will transform the way you pray. And you sit in the presence of your friend, you get to know your friend. I'm confident of it. Along these lines, we know this intuitively from friendships. Friendships have to be cultivated. They don't just happen. It doesn't just occur. No friend, if I were to sit down with you and tell me your best three friends in your life, there's a story there. And there's time and experience and intentionality and all these things. When I was young and I was in school, uh, you know, grade school, middle school, high school, college, it was pretty easy to have friends because you're just around people all the time. And you're naturally sharing things. You're playing on the same sports teams, and you're in the same classes, and 
you had to probably be a really, really mean person not to have friends because you're just around people all the time. But when I uh, graduated college and I went on to adulthood and I got a job and eventually got married and had children, it gets harder, doesn't it? I mean, it does. Come on, let's be honest. I can't be a load of this. It gets harder. And I, I, I reached a point in my 30s and it, I looked around one day and I was like, I, I don't know that I have many friends. And this isn't abnormal. New stats are coming out that 49% of Americans uh, have less than three friends. And that's doubled since 2009. 12% have no friends. 70% of lead pastors don't have one friend. I've got some friends that don't crowd me after the service, all right? I gotta, you know. <laughs> that's staggering because it takes cultivation and work. And so I had this moment in my 30s where I was like, I don't want that. I always think, maybe this is more, but I think about my funeral a lot uh, and when that's gonna come and what that will be, what will people say. And that day I was like, I don't wanna be the guy at his funeral where the six people carrying the coffin barely know me. Who is this guy again? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, want, I wanna have a line that wants to get all that coffin, that know me and knew what was happening yesterday in my life. And the week before, I knew what I was struggling with in my sin life. and knew what I was happy about, what I was sad about, what I was joyous about, that had lunch with me recently. And that takes work. It takes work. It takes time. It takes intention. Here's, here's the principle, though. We know this. The same is true of God. The same is true. Yes, God is your friend. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? The God of the universe wants to hang out with you and be with you. What does that look like? Now, some of you are much more mature apprentices of Jesus than me, and you have this all down and all that, so maybe this will just be a reminder rather than instruction. Um, but I would say it like this as a challenge this week around this idea and around our prayer life. Um, I've come to the place where I just, I think a very essential aspect of our prayer life, especially the relational prayer life, is creating space for God. You just gotta do it. Just like you would for a friend. Same principle, right? What if you had a friendship and you never saw them and the only part of that friendship was you requesting things of them when you needed it? <laughs> what kind of friendship would that be? Not a good one. So where does it look like in your life space for God? I, uh, you can, I mean, you can test this after and take my phone. I'll open. You can look at my calendar. I'm one of those nerdy type A people that schedule every hour of my day. I know it's weird, but you can look every week. Each day, there's pockets that say in my calendar, time with God. That's it. Just time with God. I don't even know what that's going to look like half the time. Sometimes it's just listening. Sometimes it's praying. Sometimes it involves scripture. Sometimes I'm, I'm weeping. And sometimes I share things that I'm doing. It just looks, but it's carved out. Just like I learned I had to do with my human friends. If we were going to be friends, I began to come up to dudes and be like, hey, do you want to do a monthly lunch? And that's, that weirds dudes out. It just does. You know, they don't know what to do with that. You know, do you want to go to this sporting event or this concert? I started a backpacking trip every year with friends. It takes intention to, just like it does with God. God's your friend. That's so beautiful. God wants to be with you. What are you going to do with that? What does that mean for your schedule? And so I would just say, if this is a new thing for you, just start small, just baby steps. Just put it in your calendar. Uh, have the same time every day where you know you have your best shot of removing noise and screens and other people and distraction because God doesn't compete with that. God whispers. That's just how God chooses to do it. And start with five minutes. 
And just sit there, just say, God, speak to me. I don't know what I'm doing. The pastor told me to do this, so I'm doing it. (laughs) Then try 10 minutes. Here's my promise to you. You will come to a place where you love it. Better is one day in the house of the Lord than thousands elsewhere. And when you skip it, you'll feel deficient. Like, oh my gosh, what's happening today? Why do I feel lost? Because I haven't connected with the one who is the lover of my soul and my friend. So that's my challenge to you. Cultivate a relationship with God uh, on a daily, daily basis. Finally, I, I had this reflection. Those of you who are like smarter than I, which are a lot of you, you probably saw this right away in this passage, how it, it all fits together. Scripture is so beautiful. And uh, I came to this realization as I was studying it a couple hours in, I'm like, oh my gosh, Jesus. Jesus is the very face of God. You guys got that early, didn't you? It took me a while. I mean, isn't that incredible? Here's Moses, right? Friend of God who hung out with God on a mountain and in a tent and how incredible, but never got to see the real God. That's what he longed for. That's what he was asking for. Because he's like, it would kill you, Moses, if I did that. I want to, but it would kill you because I'm holy and you're not. Jesus solves that. Jesus hangs on the cross for us. God in the flesh takes my sin and your sin and crushes it and annihilates it. And we're told the minute Jesus said, it is finished, the veil to the temple that kept the holy of holies of God, the presence separated from the evil, split. It was a new day. It was a new day. What does God look like? God looks like Jesus. Jesus is the very face of God. Well, John knew this right away. In this prologue, you know, he, he, he included it right at the beginning. It's kind of, his prologue is kind of his version of the Christmas story. He wrote this late in his life, the latest gospel written. And see, see if you could piece it together. See if you can hear Exodus 33 and 34 in this. I bet you can. Now the word became flesh, the word is Jesus, and took up residence among us, and we saw his what? Glory, there it is. You think he's thinking about Exodus 33 and 34? You bet he is. The glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth who came from the Father. In Jesus, on a daily basis, when we make time for it, we get to experience the presence of God the way Moses only dreamed of. Because the tent of meeting is no longer a tent, it's right here. That's incredible. And yet, my, myself and so many others are like, I don't know if I can make time for that today. I got to watch Netflix or check my Twitter feed or whatever it is. <laughs> it's incredible. No shame here. No shame. Invitation. That's a different deal. Our family has been watching uh, a TV show called The Chosen. Are you familiar with it? Yes. I'm super hesitant to mention really any Christian art over the last like 500 years because it's all really bad, largely, sadly. But I think it's changing, and I think this truly is different. I was really skeptical when I had like 20 people tell me I should watch a chosen. I'm like, yeah, been there, done that. And it's really remarkable. And it's free, so if you check it out. So our families, we're, we've been, we're, we're behind. We've been watching it, so we're in season two. And uh, man, I think the way I've heard so many even atheists and agnostics who are watching say, oh my gosh, I'm seeing God in such a new way through the face of Jesus. The face of Jesus. And, and the character, he plays Jesus like I've always imagined, joyous, and he plays pranks on the disciples, and he's goofing around, yet he's appropriately tender and loving. And one of the things I love, at least season two when we're in, the men and the women who are his disciples who are traveling with him, and they're just trying to figure it out. They're his friends. They're his friends, Truly. 
They're his friends. And that helps me see Jesus as a friend. So as part of the practice in my life, uh, I realized that, that a connection with Jesus is my connection to God. I started buying uh, Christian art that I thought was good, uh, Rembrandt's uh, a prodigal painting and, and uh, old pieces of art we found in the catacombs of Jesus is the Good Shepherd. And I've got some icons that are on little wooden stands that are like these beautiful uh, made by monks back in the day. And, and, uh, and I've got them all over the house. It probably just creeps my family out. <laughs> so, I love it though. And I got, I got this little icon. It's about it's like this big. It's a little wooden thing. And it's right next to my bed. And I, and I just, when I, when I go to bed, I'm like, good night, Jesus. When I wake up, I'm like, oh, hey, Jesus, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but in such a beautiful way, it allows me to connect with him. So I, I don't know what, what that looks like for you, um, but wherever we can get Jesus in front of us, we want to do that. Uh, Strong Coleman is a musician and author from New Zealand, and uh, he, in 2015, he struggled with depression and mental illness, and then it went into his body, and he was literally bedridden for a couple of years, lost his ability to sing, ability to make music, but he talks about in his book, Beholding, which is a really remarkable book. Um, in that dark night of the soul, he learned how to pray. He learned how to pray. And he moved from what he calls consumer prayer or transactional prayer to being with God. And here's what he writes. Learning to sit and let God be God, learning to experience the world with this kind of tender mystery, irrevocably transformed my life. It removed the power of sickness, division, despair, and hopelessness. My world wasn't free of those things, but they became peripheral issues. It was like I was filling in love and God again. Not with a naive first love, but with an older and deeper and more truthful love. Like we were both seeing each other for who we were for the first time, not who we wished the other was. Except it was me and not God who was finally waking up. Prayer became existence. Existence became beautiful, and I realized I'd been praying in reverse my whole life, looking for a re working relationship when God just longed for a friend. He talks about uh, two types of praying, canoeing, which is transactional prayer. And please hear this. We need to be doing this. It's important. But it's work, isn't it? It's work, confessing, praying for others, holding it. We need to do that good work, but it's tiring at times, and we're cooperating with God. But the second kind of prayer is floating, and it's just floating on the river of God and just being with God. And that kind of relational prayer that you're, we're inviting you into in this series should shape our transactional prayer life. So we want to have a moment. We did this last week when we invite you into practicing that with what we call breath prayers. Breath prayers have been around for centuries and centuries and centuries. And this may freak some of you out. It's, it's not meditation. Meditation is usually trying to clear our minds and detach and center on self. Uh, breath prayers are trying to fill our minds and our hearts with God and center on Jesus and attach to Jesus. They're totally different. And what I love about breath prayers is they're so simple and they remove me from the knee-jerk desire to just start praying transactional prayers. And it just centers me relationally and peaceably with the Lord. It's also really healthy for you. <laughs> So here's breath prayers. When you breathe in, you pray a phrase. And when you breathe out, you pray a phrase. Because we, we're already doing that. You don't have to work. You're already, you got to do that to stay alive. So if you stop breathing, it's trouble, right? So you're breathing in and breathing out. The Greek word for breath is the same word for spirit. Every breath is a gift from God. We're reminded of that and grounded in that. So we breathe in and we say a phrase. And you breathe out. And you can pray a lot of different phrases. 
And the one I'm going to invite you to pray here just for a minute or two before we go to the table is Lord Jesus. You breathe in. Breathe out. You are my friend. Some of you need to know that. Some of you need to have that ground in your prayer life. Lord Jesus, you are my friend. Lord Jesus, I'll do it one or more, two more times and I'll let you do it. You are my friend. Lord Jesus, you are my friend. Amen.